We are in the middle of a series called The End. Um, and the whole concept is, um, as we go through many of the things that we're facing uh, in society today, is it some of the signs of, of the end, the things that are taking place? And so uh, I just want to let all of you know that um, I'm actually having a complete blast doing this series. Um, and uh, I think I've shared in the first couple of weeks, I was a little apprehensive. I think the teaching team was a little, um, uh, little concerned about our authority to teach this and I think I've shared you know we want to we want to get up here and anytime we communicate to you we want to be able to speak it with authority and and just a certainty to it but here's the truth um, there is really uh, a lack of certainty uh, when it comes to many of the details of the end times um, here's what we do know Jesus is coming back Amen? Um, and that we are supposed to be prepared and ready, and, um, and that's what really the heart of this series has been. Uh, I don't know if I've ever studied as hard for a series or uh, different messages, but I don't know if I've had as much fun giving messages as I have in the middle of this. And so if you have not listened to the first two uh, messages of this series, go to our YouTube channel, uh, look up Shine Church CEO for Colorado, and you can listen to those first two. The first one, we talked about the heart posture and the mindset that we need to have in regards to the end times. And then last week, we talked about the rapture in which I told you exactly when Jesus is coming back. And so you don't want to miss that one. Uh, you, no, just kidding. Totally didn't do that. I totally didn't do that. Um, but you are going to want to jump online and listen to those things. If you are new here, uh, one of the things that we do is many times we have a very interactive service. We'll pass around pass around microphones and get people's feedback and thoughts. For this particular series, uh, we felt like the Lord told us to lean more into the teaching side of things, so we will not be doing that this weekend, um, but uh, it, will, it will come back, I promise. We will come back and bring the microphones back out and get your input and your feedback, but for this series, we felt like we should lean into the teaching aspect. Um, quick reminder about what we're doing in, re in the middle of this. We are not we are not going to be dogmatic about any positions. I hope that you've enjoyed that. It's been fun and freeing for me as a teacher to get up and give you information and then just let you and the Holy Spirit work it out. Here's what we do believe, that each one of you that have called upon the name of the Lord have the Holy Spirit inside of you and he will help you to navigate through these things. We believe that with all of our heart. So we're not going to take any dogmatic positions. You are not going to hear from me, this is how it is. Unless, um, I, you know, for instance, salvation, this is how it is. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Uh, but when it comes to end times things, we don't believe there are salvation issues. Um, we don't think that if you believe one way, you're saved, and, and if you believe the other way, you're not. Uh, we just don't see that in the Word. So we, again, just not dogmatic in that. We believe this is information that God wants us to communicate. And uh, we want to do it in a way where fear isn't the motivator. We're not... We're not telling you these things to scare you to salvation, okay? That's not the goal. That's not the heart. And as a matter of fact, here's our, our heart, and that is this. We want you to walk out of this room knowing that God is in control and that he knows and he communicated these things in the Bible so that we would know that he knows. And I think he is intentionally vague about how he says a lot of the end times things so that we won't focus on them, but on him. Amen? Amen. And so, if anything that I say today, because today we're talking about the tribulation. And if there's a message, if there's, yes, yeah, thank you. I'm glad you guys are excited about that. Nobody else is. But uh, 
Uh, <laughs> if there's a message that could be given that could create some fear and some anxiety, this probably is one of those messages. And I do not want you to walk out with any fear or any anxiety. So here's what I am asking of you. If anything that I say um, stirs an anxiety or a fear in you, before you leave, come talk to me. Because I don't want you to walk out of here with any anxious thoughts or any fear. What I want you to do, as I said before, is I want you to walk out of here knowing God has control. And then he has. He has it all in his hands. We may not fully understand it all, but we do know that he has it under control. All right? Um, we also know that a blessing comes um, in the midst of this. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. There is a blessing that comes as we investigate these things. I do not think that we are supposed to take all of our attention and all of our time and focus it solely on the end times. But I do believe that in the multitude or in the full counsel of God that comes in this book right here, we are to investigate, we are to educate ourselves, we are to learn, we are to read all of the counsel of God. And there is a lot of the end times in the word of God. And so it we should be balanced. We should bring in this from time to time and make sure that we research it and look into that. I believe there's a blessing that comes. Revelation says there's a blessing that comes when we do that. And so we are going to read a lot from Revelation um, today. So uh, here's my, my hope and my, uh, my prayer is that as I read through Revelation today, that you will be blessed because you'll be reading it with me and you'll be hearing it. So it's like a double blessing. Amen? All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the fact that in your word, uh, there is just life and freedom. And so, Lord, that's what I, I loose in this room today is life and freedom. I pray that that would be what people would receive. As we start talking about um, just some of the terrifying and scary things about the tribulation, Lord, I pray that we would get life from them and that, um, as Thessalonians says, we would be able to encourage one another with these things. And so, Lord, I pray that no one in this room or anybody listening online would, would receive any fear or any anxiety, but, Lord, that this information would just help us solidify our relationship with you. So Lord, use my words today to communicate that heart. And where I lack, Lord, I pray that you would make up for the insufficiencies. And so Lord, we thank you for these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, tribulation. Tribulation, um, from, for the most part, uh, from the Christian standpoint, is the seven-year period that marks the beginning of the end of this age as we know it. Okay, so uh, when Jesus died, rose again, I kind of uh, set into part, he, he presented himself to the disciples, and then he ascended up to heaven, um, and the angels came to the disciples and said, hey, what are you looking at? And they're like, uh, yeah, Jesus just left. And they said, hey, well, don't worry, he's coming back. And so this age in between those two events is what we're living in, and the tribulation, many believe, is the seven-year period that, that begins that end, and then Jesus will come back. And there's good reason for, for that belief. Before I get into what Revelation talks about and says about it, we have to kind of get an understanding from Daniel. So it goes back all the way to Old Testament prophet, uh, probably uh, the author of the Bible that has the best name, in my opinion, I'm just saying. Um, nah, boo, yeah, boo, boo, I understand, yeah. Um, 
And so let me, let me set this up because it, this kind of sets up the whole idea and the thought, from my understanding, of, of the tribulation. And so Daniel, in chapter 9, it says that he is going before the Lord and praying. We know that Daniel prayed often. If you remember the story of Daniel in Lion's Den, some of the chief officials create this tricky plan to make sure that Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel doesn't succumb. He actually doesn't succumb to the law that says you can't pray to anybody other than the king. He prays at least three times a day. He did it with an open window. Everybody knew it. That's how they trapped him. He gets thrown in the, the lion's den. He lives. Then those that tricked him or did that to trick him, they get thrown in. None of them lived. Um, and so Daniel was just a, a holy man before God. And at one of these times, he is praying before the Lord. It says that in chapter 9, the beginning part, that he is praying on behalf of Israel and the Jewish people. He is praying a prayer of repentance. He is saying, Lord, we have sinned against you. Lord, come restore your kingdom. Now, he is, he is one of the young men that was brought into captivity when Babylon came, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took many of the Israelites um, and and put them into service into their kingdom and Daniel is one of those and this is where he's at in the middle of this prayer and we're going to pick up in verse 24 when the angel comes down and answers Daniel's prayer it says an angel comes and answers and we'll pick it up in verse 24 and says this to him <clears throat> 70 sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy, the most holy place. Know and understand this. Okay, so real quick, again, the angel is coming. He is answering Daniel's prayer. He's repenting on behalf of Israel. The angel is coming in and says, okay, here's what's taking place. This is what needs to be complete in order to kind of cover their sin, and then I'm going to do this. From that time, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Now, real quick, the anointed one, who do you think that is? Jesus. Many people believe Jesus. I don't think there's any, any controversy on that. And so get a picture. Daniel prays. The angel comes down and says, okay, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a decree that is said uh, that Jerusalem can be rebuilt. A king is going to make this decree, and from that decree, there's going to be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Seven plus 62 is what? <laughs> Not many mathematicians in here. Seven plus 62 is? 69. Okay. Many people believe this is 69 sets of seven years. Just the way that the language, uh, the way the Hebrew is written, um, so many people, that, that's actually not much con controversy about that. So we have, at the beginning, it says there's 70 sevens, and in this case, there's 69 sevens. And what most scholars believe is that 69 years was from the time that Nehemiah 
was given a decree. Now, there's three other decrees. I'm not going to go into it. You can read in Ezra the three other decrees where King Cyrus, King Darius, and uh, King Artaxerxes. Did I get that right, DJ? Artaxerxes? There we go. Artaxerxes. Last night, I was just calling him Art. Um, Artaxerxes. They all gave a decree for Ezra to rebuild the temple, but many people believe this one uh, written in Nehemiah is the one that Daniel, the angel was referring to with Daniel, and, and this is what the decree was. He gave Nehemiah permission to rebuild the city and the walls. And why many people believe that's the one is because the one that was given in Ezra was to rebuild the temple. And in this vision or in this word from the angel to Daniel, it says that after 62 sevens, the anointed one will, or, sorry, let me just go back up. Uh, but by the rule comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and trenches. So many people believe that it wasn't talking about the temple being rebuilt. It was talking about Jerusalem being rebuilt. This is what Nehemiah did. Okay. So then many people have taken, and one in particular, gentleman by the name of Sir Robert Anderson, actually took the Jewish calendar, the 360 days a year. I know we have 365. Jewish calendar has 360 days a year. And then every once in a while, like we throw in a leap year, every once in a while they'll throw in kind of a leap month to make up for time. And so the sun is always in this right place every year as it goes around. Um, so he took that calendar and he applied how many days it would be. It's 173,880 days. And what he presented and proposes is that from the time that Artaxerxes made that uh, decree to Nehemiah, from that day, if you take 1,773,880 1, days and you go, it's the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday, which was the leading week to his death. Now, there's other theories. There's a theory that says that the timeline leads right to his actual death, the crucifixion. Not much chronological backing to that. Some say that the decree leads to his baptism. Uh, again, uh, it, it, would, it has to be based on... Uh, our calendar and not the Jewish calendar. So some people believe that. Um, some say that it happened, um, that, that the timing was, um, sorry, it came to Jesus' birth. Um, but here's, here's the point. Um, from the time that it was decreed and Nehemiah went to go rebuild the walls, if you take that much time, the 69 sets of seven, it actually leads right to right around Jesus' time, which is absolutely amazing to me. And so whether it's his birth or his baptism or the triumphal entry or his crucifixion, it was spoken to Daniel by an angel to show us that when God speaks, we better listen. Yes? All right. So that's the 69 sets of seven. But at the beginning, it says there was 70. Now, this is where that section of scripture in Daniel gets a little confusing. After the 62 sevens, so there's one seven, then 62 sevens, it says the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. We know that Jesus was crucified. He died on our behalf. Then it goes, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, so the city and sanctuary has already been destroyed, but this word from the angel to Daniel says that it's going to be rebuilt. This Messiah is going to die. And then the city is going to be destroyed again. Okay, many people believe that that is referring to what happened in 70 AD when Jerusalem was once again conquered, taken, and the city walls and temple completely destroyed. 
Okay, that was 70 A.D. Then it gets weird again. So the people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. For one seven. Here's our missing seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Crystal clear, yes? I mean, you guys got it, right? I don't even need to talk anymore about that, right? I mean, clearly he's talking to Daniel at least 483 years before the city and temple is restored again. And he's telling him, hey, here's what's going to happen. Um, it's going to be rebuilt. There's going to be a man that comes. He's going to die. We know him as the Messiah. Then it says that city's going to be destroyed again. We think that happened in 78. And then all of a sudden it jumps to who knows when in time and says there's going to be that last seven years. So many scholars believe this is uh, just the, the final seven years is the years of tribulation. And halfway between that, there's going to be somebody that sets up and uh, he refers, or it's referred to him as the abomination that causes desolation. So uh, sometimes I need pictures to help things out. I don't know about you guys. Maybe this helps out. I don't know. But I got a little picture of this. Um, you've got the one seven. Then you got the 62 sevens. So those 69. Um, then you have the time, what most scholars believe is the time of the Gentiles or the church age, okay? And then um, in this particular thing, it says the rapture of the church. Uh, last week, we talked about all the different positions. This was the only thing I could find. I probably should have scrapped it. Just ignore that. Don't pretend like it's not there. Who knows? We're not sure when the rapture is, right? Maybe you are. I don't know. Listen to last week's message. Um, all right. <laughs> then you have the 70th week of Daniel. This is... Um, one week of years, which is commonly known as seven years, um, referred to in Daniel that we just read. And halfway between uh, is the three and a half years where the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, also in Matthew 24, uh, this section, Daniel 9. Um, and many people believe that that is, uh, commonly, is commonly referred to as the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to stand up in the temple, which is interesting because most people believe that there needs to be another temple built in order for these things to happen. And if you look into this at all, uh, you will find that there are plans for another temple. If they were ever given permission to build back up on the Temple Mount, they will quickly start moving in and, and building a temple. I've even read and uh, heard some things about uh, maybe it's not even a brick and mortar temple, but it's kind of like um, I, we have so many different forms of technology, uh, but they could throw up a metal building super easy or even kind of a tent type thing. It, it's just that it gets brought back that worship um, back in the Old Testament days where they're bringing sacrifices, that that will be restored. Many people believe that that will take place and that in the half the three and a half years of tribulation, the abomination that causes desolation will stand up and, uh, and do away with the sacrifices that started up again, okay? That's what many people believe right now. All right, so let's talk about this, uh, the seventh year. Um, many people believe that in the book of Revelation that um, John is given a word from Jesus that speaks directly to this time frame, 
these seven years in particular. Um, and so we're going to, today, we're going to quickly go through the book of Revelation. And I'm going to take different highlights from every chapter. And my hope is that as I do this, it will bring some understanding and insight. But here's, I'm just going to tell you right up front. Um, it is very confusing. It is all over the place. And we absolutely need the Holy Spirit to direct and lead us in the midst of this. Um, and so if this stirs up more questions, then you're probably in the right place. <laughs> I've always told people, if you really want to know if you're seeking the Lord, um, when you ask him questions and he answers one, it will stir three or four more. Because he's infinite and we're finite. For instance, the first question that you ever asked was, was there a God? It's probably the only question you really had. And as soon as you came to an understanding, yeah, I do believe there's a God, that opened up three more different questions, yes, or more. And so that's kind of the progress. We're finite. He's infinite. And so it's okay if you walk out of here with more questions than you had when you came in. Here's the heart. Are we looking into the full counsel of God and really asking God to, to speak to us through his Holy Spirit? So let's jump in. Book of Revelation. Chapter 1 is the introduction of Jesus coming to John. Now, just a quick reminder. John is the disciple that self-proclaimed that he was the one Jesus loved. Okay, we talked about this a couple weeks, but he had that in his mind that he was Jesus' favorite. Um, I hope that's the mentality that you all have, because we are all his favorite. But John really did. He's like, I'm the one Jesus loved. Um, we know that he was in the inner core, the inner three people that, that Jesus hung out with. And so for me personally, that carries a lot of weight, because it means that if Jesus came and gave this revelation to John, that he was coming to a trusted friend. Yeah? And so in verse 17 of chapter 1, it says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. The heart of this whole series, do not be afraid. This is Jesus' heart for you and I. Do not be afraid. Then he says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. Any doubt that this is Jesus? Okay, this is not an angel. This is Jesus himself presenting these words to John. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore. So he is telling his good friend, I want you to write what you are going to see. And I want you to put it down so other people, you and I, can know that Jesus gave this to John. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And so... You can see right there in the last sentence that there's three elements. There's what has happened, which we know that John wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, um, which he wrote about what he had saw, what he had seen. Then you have write what is, what is now, and in J chapter 2 and 3, what um, Jesus gives to John is letters to seven churches. Um, and so we're not going to go through all of those letters. I would encourage you to read them at home, but um, could be that that is Jesus speaking to John for right then, right then at that moment. Here's what I want you to write down to the churches right now. Then it moves in chapter four into what is going to come. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So going into chapter four, right after the letters to the seven churches, verse one says this, after this, the letters to the seven churches, 
I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Revelations 5 says that he comes up, John, and there is a scroll with seals on it that is by God Almighty. And an angel says, who is worthy to open the scroll or these seals? And it says, no one is worthy to open this up. John actually records that he weeps and he weeps because no one was worthy to open the scroll. And then all of a sudden he heard, wait, look, here's the lion of Judah. He is worthy of opening the scroll. And it's very interesting because he heard the lion of Judah. But then it says the very next verse is that he saw the lamb, which is really interesting to me. He heard that the lion of Judah is, is able to open the scrolls. When he looks to see this lion, what does he see? He sees a lamb that looked that had been like he had been sacrificed. And it goes on and says that this lamb is worthy to open these seals. Chapter 6 is the first six of these seals that are opened. And we're not going to go into great detail, but I want to just do a real quick recap of what these seals meant. I've got a little chart for you. Um, the first seal, a white horse comes out with a rider. Many people believe that the Antichrist is the rider of this horse. But I want to read this to you. And, um, you know, one of the things that I feel like God has, has stirred in my heart, and I think our entire teaching team is is in agreement on that, and this is that um, maybe we have maybe we have taken certain things and what people have summarized or believed about something and kind of made it made it what it is when maybe that's not necessarily what it is. I'm gonna let you go to the Holy Spirit right now because this first seal, um, chapter six. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And then the next verse says, when the lamb opened the second seal. This is all we know about the first seal. But many people believe that that first seal is the unleashing of the Antichrist. Now, here's what's interesting. And DJ is going to do an incredible job next week talking about the Antichrist. You won't want to miss it. Um, but it never refers to the Antichrist by name here. Um, and I'm just submitting, it could be. But let's ask the Holy Spirit, what is really taking place here? All we do know is that somebody is released to go and start conquering. And if we put it in context with the rest of the seals, it's not a good conquering, I would submit. Um, I think it's a conquering that goes against um, God's people. It would go against um, things that would be good um, because of just even what the other seals. The second seal is a red horse and open warfare breaks out on the earth. The third seal is a black horse and he is given the ability to create famine throughout the earth. Then the fourth seal is a pale horse, and he is given the ability to, take, uh, to, to cause death to one quarter of the earth. 
Now this is, church, this is why some of the people think that end times things are starting to take place. is because they believe some of these things are starting to happen. And I'm not up here to tell you whether I think they are or not. I do know it seems to be getting more and more chaotic as we go on in life, yes? And I know some people say, well, it's because we can see everything all over the world. Uh, yeah, but the chaos seems to be even crazier than ever. I, just what I've observed. The fifth seal is the seal of martyrism. Um, and many believers are died for what they believe. Um, believers are calling out, crying out to the Lord for vengeance um, in the middle of that seal. The, the, fifth, uh, the sixth seal is physical disturbances. It says there uh, is going to be earthquakes. The sun is blacked out um, and various things that happen with the stars and moon and, and, and those kind of things. And that's the sixth seal. Now, that is chapter six. In between the sixth and the seventh seal, um, we move into Revelation chapter 7, and it says that um, John sees 144,000. Actually, it says, it says this, that there are a certain number of believers that are marked with the mark of God. And then it says, and I heard their number, and it was 144,000. But what's interesting is that the very next verse, it says, I, and I heard the number, 144,000. And the very next verse says that then he looked and he saw a multitude of all nations and tribes that couldn't be counted. So he hears a number, 144,000, then he looks and he sees a multitude. And it says that this multitude are, are those coming out of the great tribulation. Okay, so that's kind of a recap of chapter 7. And then the seventh seal is opened, which actually starts the seventh trumpet. Okay, the seven trumpets begin to blow. First trumpet, one-third of all vegetation on the earth is burned up. A third of it. Second trumpet, a third of the sea is turned to blood. Amen. It's getting a little crazy here. And I would say that we probably haven't seen any of these, yes? Third trumpet, one third of fresh water is contaminated. The fourth trumpet, one third of the sun, moon, and stars are darkened. It actually says that one third of our day will be completely blackened. The fifth trumpet says that locusts are loosed to torment, but not kill for five months. And that the sting of these locusts are going to be like the, the sting of a scorpion. And that people are going to be begging to be killed because it's going to be so filled with torment. I believe right at the end of that, it actually says people still do not repent before the Lord. The sixth trumpet, an army of 200 million destroy one-third of mankind. So there's going to be some form of great battle. There's going to be some kind of conquest that's going to take place when that seal is opened. And then the seventh trump, if you notice, it goes from chapter 9 to 11. It actually introduces the next set of seven, uh, which is the bold judgments. But let's talk about what takes place between that sixth and seventh trumpet. That was in chapter 8 and 9. We move to Revelation 10. Um, an angel, well, first off, so far, I mean, you guys got it, right? <laughs> because if you do, I need you to get with me because I don't. 
I don't. Uh, I, again, what could be taking place in the midst of the tribulation? Many people believe this has happened. It's funny because look it up, go online. All of these things with the seals and the trumpet and the bulls, um, where they are all over in regards to the seven-year timeline. Some people have it here. Some people have it here. Some have it all together. It, it, it's all over the place because there's no clear understanding. I would submit, again, that, that God did that on purpose so that we would focus on him and not necessarily on these things. All right? Well, if you think it's confusing, wait till we get into these next chapters. Revelation 10 starts with an angel coming with a scroll. He sees an angel with a scroll. Then he hears the seven voices of the seven thunders speak, and he was about to write what they said, but then was told not to write it and seal up what he heard. Man, I wish that John could have wrote down what he heard. I wonder if we actually were given the ability to know what the seven voices of the seven thunders were. If he actually, he said he went to go right, but then was told not to. I wonder if that what he heard actually put everything kind of together. But God intentionally said, nope, because here's what I want to do. I want this, I want people to understand that this book is divinely inspired and that no man could come up with these things. Here's what's interesting, and here's why I think this book is absolutely divine. And I know I've said it, but I'll say it again. In the midst of this, somehow, every generation since Christ died and rose again, every generation has thought this was the end. This was the end. This was the end. I don't know how any human being could have created that intention. And yet, through the Holy Spirit, God has done that with things like this. The seven voices of the seven thunders speak to John. He goes to write, and God said no. So we know that there's some revelation, some peace that we are all missing. And so I would just simply submit that if somebody stands up and says with certainty, this is how it has to be, just ask them what the seven voices of the seven thunders was. Because there can't be no certainty. John probably is the only human being that was on this planet that would have a better understanding of what's going on. Maybe God did this on purpose to keep us on focused on him. Yes? Do you see it? Okay. Tells them not to write what they heard. Then the angel proclaims that in the days of the seventh trumpet, I think this is important. Then the angel proclaims that in the days of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. So when that seventh trumpet blows, it says the mystery of God will be accomplished. Then John is told to eat the scroll. We don't ever know what was on the scroll. We don't know if that's what the seven voices of the seven thunders. All we know is that John is told to eat it. it. Tastes like honey and turns bitter in his stomach. Then we go on to Revelation 11. John is told to measure the temple. And then is told that it will be trampled for three and a half years. So, again, many pe people believe this is the temple being rebuilt again and that John was seeing that. Many people believe that the book of Revelation actually was written after the temple had been destroyed. There's some controversy on that. Um, read, go investigate yourself on that. But many people believe that this is, again, another temple that John is told to go measure, and it says for three and a half years, the people are going to trample on this temple ground, okay? 
at the same time, there is going to be two witnesses that prophesy in that temple area. And it says, and I don't know if I ever saw this, um, it really jumped out to me as I was studying through it, but it says that these two witnesses were going to be on the grounds for three and a half years. I think in my mind I had it for just a short season, but it's three and a half years. And it says they have fire that can come out of their mouth, they can make it stop raining so that they can prophesy. They can, I mean, they've got power. And it says that after these three and a half years, that um, the beast and the second beast is actually going to come and kill them. And it says that the world will rejoice. Um, we have the technology these days, church, to be able to see anything in the world live stream from everywhere. Could it be that when these three and a half witnesses are killed, that they actually put live feeds on these dead bodies and the world can rejoice, hey, look, they're dead, and actually check in, oh, yep, they're still dead, oh, yep, they're still dead. But what a shock they're going to have when after three and a half days they come back to life. Um, this is one of, okay, just so you know, there is a view and a belief called preterism that believes that all of the things in Revelation actually happened right at year 70 AD. They believe the Antichrist has come, they, that he was the abomination that led to desolation, the temple was destroyed, all that. This is one of the reasons why I don't subscribe to that is because we haven't seen the three and a half years of the, of the prophetic, the two people prophesying and them being dead, and being dead for three and a half days, and then rising again. Um, the whole world is going to see this. You're going to ascend into heaven, and then it says this. There is a big earthquake, and that 7,000 people die. So this is, again, where a lot of people believe that the first three and a half years, and then the second three and a half years are brought, kind of broken too. Many people believe that the witnesses are in that first three and a half years. It says three and a half years, then they're killed. Seventh trumpet then is blown in Revelation 11. And it's interesting to me because the, um, the, what's said in Revelation chapter 11 is that now John sees the temple, but this time it's the temple in heaven. So it starts that chapter by saying he's told to measure the temple here on earth. The people are going to trample it. And then when that trumpet blows, it says that, I, I would admit, I would, this is what, it doesn't say this, but this is my perception. The sky is ripped open and John gets to see the temple of heaven. Could it be that that's when Jesus comes back? Because earlier it says when that seventh trumpet blows, this is the great mystery of God will be revealed. So it seems to me that when that happens, the seventh trumpet is blown, the sky is ripped open, he sees the temple of heaven, and could it be that maybe that's when we see Jesus? I don't know, but it's kind of interesting as I was reading through it. Um, okay, trumpet is blown, it actually then goes into the accounting of the um, bowls. So let's look at the bowls here. Actually, no, let's not look at the bowls, right? I mean, sorry, I'm going to keep going. There's more confusion in the, before the bowls actually happen. 
Uh, okay, in between that seventh trumpet and where the bowls are actually recorded in Revelation, Revelation 12. Revelation 12 speaks to the, about the woman, the child, and the dragon. Now, here's, it gets super weird here for me, um, and I think probably it does too, because all of a sudden, now it's talking about a woman who has a child, and some people believe that that is Mary and Jesus. Other people believe that's Israel and the Jewish people. I, it's, it's not clear. It's not very uh, it's just kind of speaking very vague, and it seems like it's jumping from what is going to happen to what has already taken place. Uh, it, it's just all over the place. Uh, it talks about uh, the dragon. It says that the dragon, he saw the dragon being thrown down from heaven. And so many people believe that this is Satan falling with a third of his angels and coming down to earth. So again, that's not what to come. That is what has happened. Or some people believe that maybe that is when Satan actually doesn't, you know, Job says that he went and presented himself before God. And so some people have said, hey, this is when he no longer can go actually be in God's presence. He's thrown down. I, I don't know. It's so vague. But it just says that he sees him thrown down. And that when he comes down, that he goes after the offspring of the women. Okay? So... Uh, there's clearly uh, a battle that is taking place and uh, he doesn't like the offspring of this woman, whether it's Jesus and all of the believers or if it's the Israel people or if it's us as Gentiles. Um, there is um, a group of people that he is going after and I would submit that is you and I. Um, <clears throat> it says that the dragon has seven heads and 10 horns which then obviously then flips you back to Daniel, which talks about that, which I'll talk about in just a minute. And then we jump to Revelation 13, and it speaks about the dragon. Most people believe that the dragon is Satan. Okay, this is the one that has fallen because the dragon was thrown down. Then it talks about the beast. Many people believe that the beast is the Antichrist. And then it says that another beast comes out of the waters and um, serves the beast. Okay, and many people believe that that second beast is a false prophet. This is when the mark of the beast is explained. It says that the second beast will come out and will make everyone on earth take a sign of worship to the beast. This is where many people believe the Antichrist will come, start to reign and rule, a false prophet will come up and be kind of second command, and he is going to make everybody take a sign or a mark whether on the forehead or on the wrist. Um, and it says that no one will be able to buy or sell without this mark. Now, just something completely on the side of this that was very interesting to me. Um, there are many people that will preach wholeheartedly that there is going to be a one world economy. This is the only verse that I know of that speaks to it. And it does it very vaguely. And yet people have set up very dogmatic beliefs of system in regards to one world. Could it be? Yes. If you can't buy and sell without this mark, then there is something that is unified absolutely all the way across. There are some understandings about the ten horns being ten or country leaders that come together that create some kind of a system. But it is all kind of speculation, putting this with this and putting it together and, saying, and coming out and going, I think it could be like this. But again, church, I'm going to submit to you, I, I don't know how you can say with all certainty, this is absolutely how this is going to be. Is that okay? I hope, 
Um, I, I know I'm probably ruffling some, some feathers when I say that, but it's just vague. It's just vague. But this beast will come up, make everybody take a mark. If you don't take the mark, um, you're going to be killed. It says that he's going to set up an image of the, the first beast and make everybody worship that. This correlates directly with Daniel about this um, abomination that leads to desolation. So let's read that. Daniel 7, 24 through 27. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from the kingdom, from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws, speaking of sacrifices and those things. The holy people will be delivered into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So there's, a, again, three and a half years is what most people believe that is. But the court will sit, and power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. So many people believe the time, time, and time, half times is the second three and a half, that there will be an oppression of God's people, people who love him. But then after that, he's going to come, he's going to reign, his power and greatness and of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will worship and obey him. I, you know, Pastor DJ is going to talk about this next week, but it's so cool that in Daniel you have all these words about things that are calling, coming, and it's kind of scary, and it's like, what in the world's happening? And then he goes, hey, don't worry. God's coming. He's going to rule, and if you know him, it's all going to be good. Therefore, encourage one another with these things. It's going to be okay. Daniel 11.31 says, His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. The key thing that I want you to get right there is the people who know their God. Church, we need to be a people that know our God. This is why we're telling you all of this, is so that you will understand that the number one priority needs to be Jesus Christ and your walking, talking relationship with him. That's got to be number one. You have to keep that at the forefront of your mind because the people that know their God will firmly resist him. If we are here for the tribulation and these events and you start to see these things happen, it shouldn't make you hide away. It actually should make you firmly establish your relationship with Jesus and take as many people as you can with you. Okay? That's why I'm telling you this, is so that you have a knowledge so that if and as these things unfold, you'll be able to go, okay, that's how I'm going to stand. Daniel 12, 9 and 12. 9 through 12. He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Again, more information that God gave to Daniel that said sealed up you don't get to communicate this to anybody. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, this is the three and a half year period, most people believe, that the Antichrist comes in and does away with sacrifices. There will be 1,290 days 
Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. 1,335 days. I read about this. 1,260 days is three and a half years. Some people believe the extra 30 days and then the extra 95 days or 85 days, whatever, that 75 days, whatever it is, um, that that is actually Jesus comes starts to gather us, starts to put everything in motion. He's got some battles that he has to win, all of that. Some are saying that those days are the days where that's going to happen. And then after 1335, that's when his thousand-year millennial reign starts. There you have it. Revelation 14, John sees the 144,000 that are marked with the mark of God again, and it says that they are singing a song that only they can learn. Then it says three angels are presented, and they cry out, and I want you to listen to what the angel said. I think this is important to, again, mindset and heart posture. Revelation 14, 7, he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The second angel. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. The third angel says in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Church, listen, that is an incredibly scary section of scripture. And this is why so many people want to know what the mark is. Because nobody wants to take that mark. I would submit to you that people that don't know Jesus, if they read that, would be like, I don't want to take that mark. This is why, I, it's so funny, I got an email at the beginning of the series uh, from one person that actually said that their parents thought the social security card was the mark of the beast. And they didn't get a social security number until they were 14 years old in order to get a job. There has been many different perspectives, many different thoughts from people about what the mark would be. The latest being the, the vaccine, right? Church, I think we're going to know that we know that we know what the mark is. It says that a beast is going to rise up and is going to make everyone take a mark. Just have ears and eyes to be watchful. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to get into the Antichrist and that in, in future messages. So um, don't let this make you afraid. Let this push you towards your relationship with the Lord. Yes? At the end of that, <clears throat> the angels speak those things. Then it says that a harvest is taken and that one angel sweeps through the land and reaps a harvest. Many people believe that that's us, the believers. Then it says another angel takes a harvest and it says that it's going to pick up grapes and throw 
them into the wine press of God's wrath. Uh, again, not something that we want to be a part of. Keep your eyes on Jesus and your heart set on him. Revelations 15. John sees the heavenly temple again. And out of this heavenly temple, seven angels come out of it, and then the bowls are released. So I've got a graph for this. Seven bowls. <clears throat> First bowl, terrible sores on all followers of the Antichrist. Anybody who follows the beast is going to have terrible sores on all of, all of them. Then turns all of the sea to blood, killing everything in it. Interesting, because earlier it was one-third, right? But no, this is everything in it. The third bowl turns all of the fresh water to blood. Fourth bowl, people are scorched by intense sunshine. Something takes place. Um, it's, I'm not going to say that. Uh, <laughs> the sun is going to kill us uh, or scorch us. Uh, fifth bowl, complete darkness over the kingdom of the Antichrist. And it's interesting because it actually says there'll be complete darkness over the beast. The Euphrates River is dried up. Uh, many say that it's in order that the armies that are massed against the Jewish people, that river, so that they don't have to cross over that. They can just cross and come battle that. And then the seventh bowl uh, is released, and it says that there's the greatest earthquake Ever. Babylon is destroyed and the earth is pounded by 100 pound hailstones. 100 pound hailstones. Um, <laughs> you want to see this? <laughs> I don't want to see this. As I read through this, I'm like, Lord, may it be pre tribulation. God, please be pre tribulation. <laughs> Please, 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 please. Um, you read that and you're like, oh my gosh, that is crazy. Okay, so church, here's, I'm going to pastor you in the middle of this. Um, whether we're here or not, here's what I do know. God can preserve his people. I'm reminded of when Moses went to the Pharaoh and started creating the plagues. You know the first part of the plagues? Whoever has ears hear this. The first part of the plagues had to do with the entire country, including the Israelites. They had to face them. But then as we got into the second half, it only hit the Egyptians. The Israelites didn't have those plagues. Could it be that that is a hand-in-hand -hand with tribulation? Hey, maybe there are certain things that we're all going to have to face, tribulation times, but then when some of the bowls start happening, we're separated. And he preserves us. And those that don't know the Lord have to suffer that. Those that do are, if anything, if, can you imagine? Can, can you imagine? These things start to happen and you and I are on this earth and it doesn't touch us. Can, we, can you imagine how that would solidify your faith? You'd be like, you know, Pastor Dan taught about this. <laughs> and oh my gosh, look what's happening. That, that would be, I don't know what it's going to look like, but here's what I do know. God will give us the grace and he can preserve his people. Amen? Okay, so don't be afraid. Don't walk in fear or in anxiety of these things. Understand that God let us know these things because he wanted us to be aware. All right. Many people think that those seven bowls are the great tribulation. There's a couple references, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Revelation 7, 
calls for or speaks to a great tribulation. Some people believe the whole seven years is the great tribulation. I don't know. It could be one. I could see why that could be called the great tribulation. In Matthew 24, it says that we're, as I read it, we're going to kind of be through the great tribulation. We're going to be here for that. So I, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. After the seals, though, Revelation 17 and 18 explain the fall of Babylon. It actually explains the meaning of the seven heads and ten horns. We're going long. I'm not going to go into that, but read it. Read chapter 17 and just see what, what the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Revelation 19 says Jesus comes on a white horse, and the beast and the false prophet come against him, but they are thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, while the armies that are with the beast are killed. In Revelations 20, it says that a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ comes. Satan is judged and thrown down to the lake of fire for eternity. Then it says, all the dead are judged according to what they have done. Man, a crazy picture for you. It says, all the dead in the sea will come before the Lord. All the dead in the land will rise up. We're all going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to have to give an account of what we did in regards to his son, Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. We're all going to stand before the Lord. I will be dogmatic on this. I'm not sure where you are here today, but I want you to know, one day you're going to stand before your creator, and you're going to have to give an account to what you did in regards to his son, who he sent, so you could have relationship with him. Super easy. You have to ask him to come into your life. Super hard, because he's going to ask you to make him and surrender for the rest of your life. But it's the best surrender you could ever have. Revelations 21 and 22 speak of the new heaven, the new earth, the bride of the lamb. And then Jesus gives final words to John. And I want to read the red letters of chapter 22, the last chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelations 22, 7. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. It started with a blessing. It's ending with a blessing. Revelation twenty two twelve. 12. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Revelations twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things say, yes, I am coming soon. And then the letters go from red to black, which means this is John's response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Can you imagine getting this revelation? And Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And John's like, yes, please do. And I hope that that is your prayer as well. Jesus, come soon. Jesus, come soon. Listen, the truth is Jesus is coming soon. I don't know if it'll be in our lifetime or not, but he is coming soon. In regards to the time frame of eternity, even if it takes 3,500 years, that's soon. Do you get that? He is coming soon. And what he is asking all of us is to be ready, to be watching, to continue to occupy this earth until he returns, and to take as many people with us as we can. Church, we teach this because we want you to be aware and know about it, but we do not want you to be consumed by it. This is a part of the full counsel of God, and we want you to understand it, 
but then we want you to move on to the walking, talking relationship that Jesus would have for you. Many people get consumed by these end time thoughts and it becomes the thing that they absolutely focus on. Kim and I were watching a leadership training uh, about a week and a half ago and uh, a guy said something and, and it was in regards to leadership, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is how I'm gonna end this message. Um, Revelations 1, 1, the very first chapter, the very first verse, the very first five words. This is what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the entire book of Revelation is about. The revelation of Jesus Christ. If you make Revelation, the book of Revelation, about end times, you've missed the point. And this guy in this leadership training video said this, anytime you focus on the second and third things in your life, you will miss out on the first thing and the second and third thing. But when you focus and make the first thing first, you not only get the first thing, but you get the second and third thing too. So church, the focal point should be about Jesus Christ. Make him first, make him your priority, and I promise you that if you will make him the priority, when it comes to end time events, guess what? He'll give you the understanding and wisdom as they unfold. But listen carefully to me right now. If you make end time things your focal point, you are in jeopardy of not only missing the Lord, but missing the end time too. Because you'll get so dogmatic about your position. And remember, who missed Jesus' first coming? The ones that were steeped in the law that thought they knew it all. They missed Jesus. Church, don't miss his second coming. Because you're so wrapped up in the second and third ancillary things. Focus on your relationship with Jesus. Put him first. It reminds me of the section of scripture that says, seek Ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Focus on the Lord. He wants a walking, talking relationship with you. Don't get consumed in any subject matter like this unless it's pointing you to him. The book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. If he wanted it to be the revelation of the end times, that's what he would have told John. This is the revelation of the end times. He did say, I'm going to show you what is to come. But first he said, this is the revelation of me. I'm going to show you what's going to take place so that you will focus on me. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your revelation. We thank you that you want us to focus our hearts and our minds on you. That you did not give us a spirit of fear. But Lord, you have given us a spirit to overcome, the spirit of freedom. You have given us a life inside of us because of what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. And so now, Lord, we pray that you would just stir that fire into a bright burning flame in all of our hearts. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we would do well to watch for your coming that we would occupy on this earth and that we would have a heart to bring as many people as we can with us, um, helping them understand these things. 
And Lord, help us not to get caught up in any of the small details uh, in regards to these things, but help us to be caught up in you and make you our, our priority. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room today that has not asked you to come into their heart, Lord, I pray that they would just go before you. If you are here today and, and you're hearing these, these words and you're wondering, don't take my word for it. Go to God and ask him to tell you whether it's true or not. I believe with all of my heart, he will, if you have an open heart to actually receive from him, if you open your heart and say, God, tell me if this is true or not, I believe that God will actually speak directly to you. It won't be an audible voice. It'll sound like your thoughts. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to these individuals. God, we don't want any, we don't want any to go apart from you. And I know your heart is that all would come to know how much you love them and care for them. And so, Lord, if you would just come and speak directly to those people today, I pray that you would make yourself real. Open your hearts to God. He wants to come and direct you in these chaotic times. He wants to help you navigate in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, Lord, we thank you for these things. We lift you up and we give you all glory, honor, and praise in your name. And everybody said, amen.